Hey, Power People. Welcome to Renewable Rides, powered by Vector. I'm Gareth Evans, the CEO and founder. And I'm Dan Roberts, head of sales. In each episode, we'll uncover the latest trends, learnings, challenges, and triumphs relating to the energy transition, on-site energy, and sustainability through the experiences of our inspiring guests and team here at Vector. So get ready for an exhilarating adventure into the fast-paced world of challenging limits, adapting purposely, and empowering co-creation to accelerate the energy transition with those that are on a mission to create a more resilient, profitable, sustainable, and thriving energy future. So let's go. Hey, power people, and welcome back to Renewable Rise. Super excited to be back on. It's been a, an awesome few weeks since we launched. The feedback has been fantastic. Thanks to everyone who's uh, liked and shared and commented and shared a bunch of questions and feedback for us to address on future episodes. Today, we're really looking forward to talking about what actually is the energy transition and why should, why should we even care about it? But before we do, hey, Dan, what's going on? How's things? Yeah, good to see you, Gareth. This week's a big week for a lot of people, I think, or, or over the next couple of weeks with school starting. My older boy is is uh, heading into second year of preschool. And as I somewhat expected, he left with not so much a frown, but certainly not a smile on his face when he arrived at school. But, but when I picked him up yesterday, absolutely grinning ear to ear and covered in dirt. So he had an amazing time. Got to meet some new friends and and uh, was certainly more excited going into school this morning. That's awesome. Such a weird time, isn't it? Kids going back to school. It's kind of such mixed emotions of super excited to have the routine back and have have the ability to focus and concentrate. But it's another year that's passed and they're off to, they're older, they're getting closer to leaving home. It's kind of crazy. My son's nine and uh, yeah, I felt exactly the same. Super mixed feelings. On my front, managed to get my cast off last week. So the broken wrist is on the mend. Excited to be getting back at it and not be carrying around a, a very smelly structure around my arm all day, every day. I'm off to Texas this afternoon, friends 40th this weekend and lots of good business meetings for the week. But it looks like it's stinking hot, 105 degrees. Last time I looked, there was 30,000 30, people without power today. So <laughs> I don't know what I'm going into. All roads for energy pass through Texas in one form or the other, or always have done. So uh, it's a great spot to be, and uh, looking forward to being there. Yeah, I'm excited for your trip. Yeah. So with that, what is the energy transition? Why should we care about it? And I, I think the biggest takeaway, first off, is that this isn't the first transition. You know, we've gone through many of these, and it's not going to be something that's going to happen overnight. You know, transitions are decades in the making. And really, these come about as a result of there being a structural change in our supply and demand mechanics. And really, they're often driven by there being real technological advancements. And so that's what's driving today's energy transition is a change in our supply and demand mechanics. And really, technologies are improving massively to ensure that we can shift in the way we generate, store, and utilize energy. And so we'll talk more about that. But I think just to put this in to, into perspective, you know, the industrial revolution. Back then, we were burning wood. Then we we're using small little windmills, sometimes hydro, even muscle power, horses turning cogs and wheels. And it's kind of crazy seeing how that then transitioned to us using coal, then gas and oil. And uh, here we are today, you know, we're seeing a massive revolution 
And we're seeing it before our very eyes, even with cars, you know, gas cars becoming electrified and a super exciting time. And I think the big transition that we all need to be aware of is we're shifting from what we call a centralized grid, which is largely fossil powered, to a more decentralized grid, which is we want to be more renewable. And so a lot of this is possible because of the technology advancements. And before we get into that, we'd love to hear from you, Dan, like, why is society transitioning? Like, what's a real case example? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I think it's easiest to look through the eyes of a, of a particular company or, or, or considering a particular company. So, so for this conversation, let's think about a, for example, a packaging manufacturer here in the U.S. that has facilities scattered throughout the, the country, maybe across 10, 20 different states. Their profit margins, They've seen them erode over the last several years with uh, energy costs increasing on the order of about 40%, uh, not to mention their supply chain costs across the board are going up, but certainly their supply of, of energy and electricity has gone up quite substantially in the last couple of years. Their customers are now asking them to report their carbon emissions, and some are even beginning to put pressure on them to, to reduce those carbon emissions. Again, this packaging company, their customers are the major food and beverage companies, the major pharmaceutical brands that are, that are tracking their scope three emissions and then asking their suppliers to decarbonize. And, and a great example of that that can be seen is, is in the Walmart Gigaton program, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a future episode. The last really important piece is they've seen their power reliability as well as quality concerns uh, go up. Oftentimes packaging companies have very temperamental blow molds. And so not just outages, but just quality issues can really impact their process. And really until five, 10 years ago, carbon emissions, power quality, these were not concerns. Costs, energy was relatively inexpensive, but due to extreme spikes in energy demand across the system, that really leads to, to increasing costs and decreasing quality. Uh, and then on the consumer and societal pressure side to decarbonize energy, which was once just a, a line item on, on costs is now moving its way into nearly every single boardroom and developing an, uh, an energy strategy is a critical component of any really company strategy. So it's really largely driven by these costs that the pressure to decarbonize and, and quality issues. So, Gareth, within that context of thinking about, again, in this case, a, a packaging manufacturer, can you tell us a little bit about the four Ds of the energy transition? Yeah, I think uh, this really underpins what the energy transition actually is. And we refer to it as the four Ds, which means decentralizing energy, digitalizing it, decarbonizing it, and then deregulating the whole industry. And I think all four of those parameters are super critical to ensuring a successful, profitable, and sustainable transition. What do you think about the decentralized bit, Dan? Yeah, I think it's it's arguably the most important. It, it underpins a lot of the other components of the other four Ds. We have been operating in a in a world where the centralized grid is everything. Nobody has ever really had to think about where their power comes from, it's being generated hundreds of miles away in many cases at these very large power plants, often 
coal fired, although that's starting to, to, to go away. And now they're being replaced with, with natural gas fired power plants. But we need to, to, to transition to a more decentralized system in order to be more efficient, more flexible, more resilient. The way that we can do that is really generating and storing uh, electricity and energy at the source where it's used. One of the biggest challenges that we have with, with the centralized grid is it's, it's extremely fragile. Uh, centralized systems are inherently fragile. Think about an animal, for example. If their body gets detached from their, their head or their brain, they are no longer viable. Same thing holds true in a centralized energy system where you've got these generation sources that are far away from where the, the energy is consumed. And if anything happens in between in those transmission and distribution lines, the source where it's needed is no longer able to, to operate. And so that leads to, to a lot of the, the, the issues that we've, we've mentioned just a moment ago. The other thing that I think is really important that most people don't necessarily realize that in a centralized system that has very long transmission and distribution lines, there's actually pretty significant loss in power in the, the, the distribution system, typically on the scale of about eight to 15%, meaning that at those centralized plants, they need to produce far more power than what is actually getting consumed at the edge, at the manufacturing plants and at people's homes because of all those losses in transmission. So you don't actually experience that when your transmission is, is on the order of dozens or hundreds of feet at a particular facility versus hundreds of miles between a manufacturing plant and a centralized system. So that's a, a bit about decentralized. And I think to go beyond that, what do we need in order to be more decentralized, Gareth? Yeah, it's it's very challenging to move away from that central system, especially today without being digitalized. I think the key to this is you know, a really nice way to think about the central grid and that infrastructure that you're just talking about, Dan, is think of it as a freeway that all our cars are on and we're all heading down this freeway. If suddenly you've got more cars and the, the lanes on the highway can fulfill, we end up with big traffic jams. And it's the same with the energy system. We need to generate the same amount of energy as what is consumed all the time. The system always has to be in balance. And a lot of people don't realize that, that you can't just generate a bunch of energy and if you don't need it you know dump it somewhere you, know, you need to be able to use it otherwise it it leads to really bad consequences and so in order for us to be able to balance these systems and especially as we start building more and more of these smaller more decentralized assets closer to where we want to use and consume the energy it'll then need the digital technologies to ensure that we can balance that we can move the energy around that i know that my facility doesn't need the amount of energy that I'm generating so I can share it, you know, back to the grid or in the future with a neighbor. And, you know, I think furthermore, the decentralized grid will create more of a prosumer experience. Today, we're all passive consumers of energy. Utility through that central plant generates the energy, sends the power down these long transmission lines. We don't know where it comes from where it's, you know, how it's produced, how clean it is. We don't even really have any control over what it costs. And so how do we create this more prosumer-centric experience in the future where we are all more in control of our own energy destiny, that we can generate and store our energy, that we can transact it with each other, that we can um, use things like demand response programs where if we don't need that energy, we can you know, 
downgrade our need for it such that the utilities or the, the distribution operators can use it elsewhere. And so it really provides that flexibility and balance that you touched on earlier. And this today is being largely controlled by microgrid controllers. And we'll talk about that in a future episode. But in the future, I think we'll all have these super easy to use apps on our phones. We'll have these smart contracts. All our appliances will probably have built in batteries. Our houses, you know, we'll know exactly what amount of energy we need, but we can also then understand who else is not in that privileged position. You know, what local charity, what local uh, neighbor, what family member could possibly use that energy and being able to have those, you know, digital contracts to say, you know, I agree to give you my energy or sell you my energy or even, you know, give it to a, a corporate to help them reduce their emissions in return for the products that they sell. Do you know, I think it can get really exciting as we explore those opportunities. So I think we need to dig into this a lot more in a future episode because the di- digitalization of the grid is a, a really exciting spot. Yeah. The opportunities, uh, if you let your imagination run, are, are kind of boundless when, and and can be overwhelming at times, but it's certainly very exciting. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Especially when we look back over the last over the last 30 years, what's happened, think forward to the next 30 years of what can happen. So, so we've got decentralized, we've got digitalized. The third of the four Ds is, is decarbonized. I would argue this is the easiest to understand. I think it's, it's, we, we hear about it all the time. The climate is changing. We're experiencing it. Temperatures rising. You're heading to Houston. It's, it's hot. They've been on a heat wave for the last two months. It feels like, but really, I mean, we, we see according to NASA, since the onset of the industrial revolution, we've seen atmospheric CO2 rise by about 50%, meaning we're at 150% of what its value was back in the mid 1700s. And we see how that's transitioning and changing things. But with the advent of things like photovoltaics, wind, battery energy storage, other non-carbon emitting forms of energy, we're able to, to, to decarbonize the broader energy system it's great to see that we've been having grid scale projects being deployed. So large onshore and offshore wind farms, large uh, photovoltaics living here in Southern California. Anytime I fly east, I'm, I, I try to get a, a window seat so I can marvel at all the, the solar farms and the wind farms that I see. But at the same time, it, it, it can be very easy for, for, for us as businesses and consumers to, to generate clean electricity at our facilities. And it's often very, very economical to do so. So I think that is a big driver of all this. And for every megawatt hour of solar generated, it offsets about 1,100 pounds uh, of coal that's in the ground or eliminating about 2,100 2, pounds of CO2 that's being emitted into the atmosphere. So I think it's really important to keep in mind. And, and as businesses, we wouldn't put a, a coal-fired power station at our facility, but we would could easily put a large solar array supported by a battery. And, and maybe if we have some, some industrial processes, maybe even consider some other technologies like fuel cells or, or others to, to, to power our systems. So, so decarbonized, we hear it probably the most in the news. And so I think maybe people are, have heard enough of it, but it's a really important component of all this. And I just add a few points to that, Dan. I think, uh, centralized renewable generation is also awesome. And we're certainly not bashing that. But these projects, you know, are years in the making, you know, to get a new solar or wind farm up. You're looking at five, 10, 15 years in terms of permits, 
environmental impact studies, interconnection agreements, supply chain challenges. And so if we want to actually move the needle with the energy transition at scale, it's very hard to do that with centralized facilities. And that's a big reason why we're certainly big believers in a more decentralized energy future, which leads to the same decarbonized outcomes. But the last D is uh, deregulation. And we briefly touched on this from a de- digitalization perspective is that you know it's no good today in our society where we have control over a lot of aspects of what we do. But from an energy perspective, we have zero control. We are completely passive consumers in the process. We're very reliant on the utilities and the central grid to provide our energy. And utilities are incentivized to actually spend capital. Most people don't realize that a utility determines how much money they're going to spend. And then that gets submitted to the utility commission. They approve it as part of what's called a rate case. And we, as the rate payers, pay for any new expenditure. And so the more capital a utility can spend, the more that they can jack up the rates, which ultimately leads to their profitability going up. And so if they can continue to spend capital, then their business thrives, even if it's not the right thing to do. So if you can offset a multi-billion dollar nuclear plant in, in return for hundreds of millions of dollars of distributed energy projects, that isn't a good business outcome for the utilities. And that's the the mismatch here. And what's crazy is utilities spend less than 0.1% of their revenue today on innovation. And I think Bill Newsy touched on this in our in one of our previous podcasts, saying if uh, Edison or Tesla came back from the grave and they looked at our energy system today, they'd see almost an identical system to what they saw 100 years ago, which is unbelievable. But meanwhile, utilities are ranked third in the country across all industries in terms of their lobbying capacity. So, you know, this regulation is really trying to limit the fact that we as prosumers have the ability to generate our own energy, store it, use it as we want, and uh, transact it like we talked about. Across 3,000 or so utilities, they all have their own rate structures. They all have their own policies. This makes it extremely challenging to understand what the landscape looks like, how to maximize the opportunity as a consumer. And it makes it a very complex landscape. And you have to be a a complete rocket scientist to know what's going on. And I think this is all highlighted by the fact that we are considered by utilities to be ratepayers, not customers. And as such, that drives the complete wrong behavior. How in no other business in the world do you think of your customers as being the people that you can just bleed dry. It's all about how do you offer them the best service? How do you get them coming back? And so this is the uh, real crazy dynamic. So if we can deregulate this industry, it will unlock so much more potential for us to really accelerate the energy transition. Arguably the hardest of them all, deregulation. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it, but it's, but it's critical. I mean, to your point, the the, the incentives are are a bit misaligned there. So I think in going through all this, it's, it's important to remind ourselves that transitions are are often painful, but but extremely rewarding. Going from a current state to to changing and adapting and and going to a new future state can be can be challenging, but uh, but the results are extremely rewarding. I I think 
we can think back to the challenges associated with keeping up with our friends or consuming videos 30 years ago and how much easier that is today with social networks and, and streaming platforms like Netflix. I think where we are with our energy transition is largely similar to the internet circa mid nineties. And like smartphones have changed our lives completely. I think 30 years from now, we'll look back at the current energy system with, with disbelief in, in what we tolerated and frankly, with excitement for what the next 30 years beyond that hold. Yeah, completely. I'd love to do an episode together on that web one to web three transition, because I think that's really, you know, there's so many synergies between what we're seeing in energy and that web transition that we've all gone through. So we should definitely dig in on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so Gareth, what, what has you most passionate about the energy transition? Yeah, I think uh, this is a really exciting time. And I think from the decentralization perspective, I think the next series of episodes, we should dig in down on what is on-site energy, you know, what is an on-site energy system. For me, this is about, we've seen, you know, through COVID and other situations that centralized systems, while they're easier to build and maintain and manage, they're also extremely vulnerable. And we've also seen a complete lack of trust being built within our societies for these kind of top-down approaches. And what's really exciting for me about the energy transition is by decentralizing energy, it gives more power to all of us. And, you know, there's almost a billion people in this world that do not have access to power. Energy is the lifeblood of absolutely everything. Without it, we can't get access to water, access to education transportation, business to drive our economies, you know, everything comes as a result of energy. So for me, super passionate about making sure that the energy transition is driving us to a more survivable, thriving energy future that is accessible to everyone. And today, we're obviously starting with businesses because they've got the biggest impact in terms of emissions and costs and things like that. But ultimately, this is about energy access for all. How about you? Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And I, I, that resonates quite a bit with me. For me, it's really about, I'm of the, the, the last generation that got to experience analog phones, corded phones. And, yeah. and, and then eventually as the internet started to come in, dial up internet. And so seeing that transition from analog phones to the, the, the smartphones and, and supercomputers that we carry in our pockets every day. From VHS videotapes through to, to streaming videos, I believe that the same is possible in energy. And so that's what, what gets me the most excited is, is having experienced these pretty incredible communications and information transitions in my lifetime. I really want to be a driving force behind seeing that same transition happen in the energy space. Yeah, I love it. We started with uh, your kids going back to school, and I'm sure they still walk up to the TV and try and swipe on it to try and change the channel, unlike using our remotes and choosing between four channels that we grew up with and having to watch adverts and commercials on a regular basis. And so, yeah, the future is bright because uh, <laughs> if that's how we've taken our whole entertainment industry, then we should absolutely be able to unlock it for the most precious commodity in our lives. 100%. Well, and so let's buckle up. We're already on an exciting ride, but the future is uh, is even even more exciting. So good. It's been a pleasure hanging out again. I hope everyone got to get some insights into what is actually going on with the energy transition. What's it all about? 
excited to dig in on uh, what is on-site energy within that in future episodes. So see you soon. See you, guys. We receive a lot of questions from business leaders around the world wanting to learn more about the energy transition, what is possible and where to start. So to help you stay informed and up to date on best practices, opportunities, risks and success stories, we created an industry news feed at vector.com forward slash news with all our podcasts, blogs and newsletter. Check it out and connect with Dan, myself and the Vector team to learn more. Cheers and have a good one.